in a year-long program called All In. To go all in for Jesus means that, that we are going to push all out our personal wants and our personal desires to follow Jesus. It means that we must change. How important is change? How difficult is change? In order for change to occur, two things have to be known. First, you have to have a standard, or scientifically they might call it a control, right? It's a measurement upon which everything else is measured against. Fortunately, God provides for us the standard. He provides for us the control. Man, the created, does not create the standard set by the creator. Second, we need to know what needs to be changed, right? This is defined in relation to that control, to God's standard. If you were to draw a line of where God's standard is on any topic... And then you draw another line where you stand on that topic. The distance between your line and God's line is what needs to change. And that shows you how much. We can use that tool to, to really recognize change for any topic in our life. Where does God stand on the topic of forgiveness? Well, now let's look and see where you stand on the topic of forgiveness. Or how well does God forgive? How well do we forgive? The difference is what needs to change to live more godly, right? To come closer to God. Let's look at something else. Let's look at finance. What does God have to say about finance? And what do you have to say about finance? If there's a difference, there's a change that needs to happen. Amen? What about sexuality? What does God say? What do you say? See, the difference between where your line is and where God's line is shows us how much change is needed. If there is any space, even an inch of difference, in order to grow closer to Christ, something needs to change. And let me tell you a secret. God is a rock. He is unchangeable. Don't expect God to change. Amen? The reason that we're going all the way back to the book of Judges is to recognize a cycle of change. Every, everyone who has been a, a smoker, or if you have known a smoker who has tried to quit, you know this cycle of change, or you're familiar with it. See, the benchmark is zero cigarettes per day. Here's where the cycle starts. Maybe you're a pack-a-day smoker. That's 20. First, there's the preparation to quit. Then there is an attempt. Then comes a setback. Then comes shame. Then comes giving up on trying, getting back to life that was normal, and then there's another attempt. 
See, our lives function very much in this same cycle when it comes to, to pulling ourselves out of sin and moving into a godly lifestyle, moving with godly change. If we were to go back to the book of Exodus, God brought a million people out of Egypt and into the desert, and he was leading them into the promised land. It was in the desert where God made a covenant with his people, with the nation of Israel. And I want you to see in Exodus 19, the standard that God created for his relationship with his people at the time. We're in Exodus chapter 19. I'm reading verse number five. It says, now, if you obey me and you keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the people on earth. Exodus chapter 20, verses 22 through 24 says, don't make any gods to be alongside of me. That's lowercase g, God. We'll talk about that in a minute. Do not make for yourself gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burden offerings and your fellowship offerings, your sheep and your goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, watch this, I will come to you and bless you. So we see in the scriptures the details of God's standard with his people. Here was the standard. If you obey me and you keep my commandments, don't worship any other gods, lowercase g, God, okay? This is, uh, don't worship any other idols. And verse number 24, it said, wherever I am honored, I will bless you. So we have the standard. Anything that is not within those parameters will require a change in order to grow closer to God. Just like the Israelites then, just like they knew God's expectations, many of us also know God's expectations for us. But what happens is we fall into this repetitive cycle towards the change that is necessary to grow closer to God, but we never complete that cycle and actually make that lifestyle change that is needed. I want you to see these four steps that the Israelites cycled on a regular basis. It's this four steps in this repetitive cycle. First is sin. Second is discipline. Third step, we find repentance and the fourth step, we find a deliverer. Okay, we're going to talk about that. We're going to look at the history a little bit as it relates to our lives through this lesson in the book of Judges. Here's a quick, a quick history on what, what's going on when we get to the book of Judges, okay? Joshua has led the nation into the promised land, and God's people were given territories to live in that's based on their tribe, and they were told, you go to your territory and you're going to wipe out all of the people who live in that territory already and then make that territory your home. God did not want his people living amongst other people and he didn't want the other people who were already there to influence his people and bring the nation of Israel away from God. He wanted that influence, God, gone, but God's people, they disobeyed this command, the command of destroying everything that was there and driving everyone out. So basically they moved in next door 
and they took on the characteristics of the Canaanites, the people who were already there. That's what God didn't want them to do. And this created this problem because the Canaanites started to influence God's chosen people the way that God didn't want that to happen. And now we get our first glimpse of the effects of disobedience in the early chapters of the book of Judges. I'm in Judges chapter 2, reading from verse number 3. The writer says this, The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give you to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their lowercase g gods will become snares to you. God had a reason for his expectations, for the benchmark. This isn't the first time that God's chosen people had entered this cycle of change. In the book of Judges, we see the cycle 12 times. You would think that after the 12th time through this cycle that the nation would have learned, but they didn't. In the very next chapter, we read this in Judges chapter 3, verse number 7 says the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of the king of Aram to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othaniel, who saved them. Let's bring this home. What does this mean to you and me? It means that if we continually fall into the cycle, we're going to struggle to grow closer to God. Here's the first point in your notes this morning. For those of you taking notes, this will be up on your screen for those of you at home. The cycle starts with sin. We see the life of the Israelites that this cycle that is starting with sin, it's actually starting from a repetitive sin. Let me ask you point blank. What sin have you been struggling with over and over and over that is in direct opposition to God's expectations and instructions for your life? The distance between you and God is measured by sin. God has identified sin for us. He has given us directions on how to stay away from it. He has given us help to get away from it now, but we still seem to struggle in this cycle. A minute ago, I read from you from Judges chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. Now I'm just reading the very next verses, chapter 3, 12 through 14. In the distance between verse number 11 and verse number 12 is actually the distance of 40 years but we see the people falling into the same cycle. Judges 3, verse number 12 says, Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And because they did this evil, the Lord gave Eglon, king of Moab, over a power over Israel. Getting the Ammonites and the Amalekites to join him, Eglon came and attacked Israel, and they took possession of the city of Palms. The Israelites were subject to Eglon, king of Moab, for 18 years. 
Verse 15, again, the Israelites cried out to the Lord, and he gave them a deliverer, Ehud. We're told in the Bible that we are born with a sin nature. Literally, our souls are wicked from birth. Some people say they use that that statement as an excuse to, to stay wicked or distant from God. There's some people that will say, well, if I was, if, if this is the way I was born, can't I just live in my sin and, and blame somebody else for my refusal to come out of my sin? No. We talked about this last week, that, that you were born the way that God created you in accordance with his will, which is written in his word. There is a biblical answer to the idea that I was born this way. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he says, you must be born again. That means your current life and your current self must die in order for you to be born again. We're never going to get out of this cycle that's keeping us from our goal until we recognize step number one. We must recognize our sin. If a smoker doesn't recognize that smoking is bad for him, then he he doesn't recognize a need to quit smoking, right? We have to be able to see sin in order to eliminate sin. We know from the book of Romans that you earn something from your sin. The Apostle Paul says your, your sin adds up, similar to a paycheck. He says the wages of sin is death. Your wages are what you earn when you go to work. The wages for your work is money. The wages for your sin is spiritual death. Here's a point that people often gloss over. God doesn't have to wait until the end of your life to pay the wages of your sin. See, every sin has a consequence both now and later. Your sin, it leads to spiritual death, and, and, and that's where the blood of Jesus comes in that pays for our sin. Because you're covered in the, in the blood of, of Jesus, and that is covering your eternity. But what do, what do you do about your sin problem right now? See, all sin has consequences now and later. Later already has a solution. What should we expect of our sin now? Come back with me to Judges chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse number 14, says this, In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them, and they were in great distress. Here's the second point in your notes this morning. Hardships designed as penalty bring discipline intended to lead people to repentance. Hardships designed as penalty bring discipline intended to lead people to repentance. 
Here's a question for you. How hard is life right now? How much drama is going on at home right now? How many relationships are breaking down right now? How much is finance a problem in life right now? How distant do you feel from God right now? See, if God's word is the standard and you are not yet at the standard, if you draw a line where you are compared to where God is, that's the space between you and God, right? That tells us how much we can grow, how much we need to grow. Sin today will bring hardships today. I'm not talking about tornadoes or hurricanes or natural disasters or the, the death of a, of a loved one. Paul is telling us that hardships are meant to be recognized and were meant to lead us back to God. Look what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number 7. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? Verse 10. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us, so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. What good is discipline if it doesn't have a long-term reason? If you're going to punish your children, you better have a reason. You better have a goal. If God is going to discipline us, trust me, he has a reason. He has a goal. God's goal is to bring us to repentance and to help us break out of our cycle of, of sin. God's discipline and his hardships are designed to help us recognize our sin that is keeping us from changing our lifestyle to become to coming closer to Jesus. Does it ever feel like life just won't let up? Does it ever feel like the storms just keep coming? Like the wolf just keeps knocking? I wonder if we are expecting life to change, but we are refusing to change ourselves. Don't let the thought escape you that some of your hardships that, that you might be going through might be the result, could be the result of your own actions as they are consequences. They are hardships meant and designed to bring us to repentance. Our hardships can simply can honestly simply be God withholding his blessing from us, right? He said, obey my commands and I will bless you. What happens if we, are, we don't obey his commands? Is our finance struggling? Well, are we tithing? Are our relationships with other people tense? Well, are we forgiving? Are the pressures just overwhelming in our lives? I wonder if we're creating pressures for other people. How can we expect 
God to live up to his end of the bargain with continual blessings when we continually refuse to break out of the cycle of sin and we continually require discipline. It's like the kid back in high school. How can you expect to make it to the sports team if every afternoon you are in detention? You continually end up in detention. You can't grow out of that. I can't get you to practice because I can't get you out of detention. When I was younger, I went to summer camp every year. And it was a common phrase, even amongst 11-year-olds, to rededicate your life to Christ. And I don't want to take anything away from the idea of rededicating your life to Christ, but in order to rededicate your life to Christ, it demands that at one point you have already dedicated your life to Christ, right? You know why we rededicate our life to Christ? It's because we didn't hold on to our dedication the first time, or the second time, or the third time. Even though God is the God of second, third, and fourth chances, why do we take all of those chances? We know he is the God who is going to forgive, but why do we take him up on that, on that blessing that he has? You know what happens before you can rededicate your life to Christ again? You have to recognize your sin. You have to recognize that your hardships may be punishment. And you have to take the next step, which is point number three in your notes this morning. You have to drop to your knees and repent again. You have to drop to your knees and repent again. If you've been caught in this cycle, you know how many times you have already dropped to your knees and repented for the same sin over and over and over. Maybe it's time... Maybe it's time today to drop and repent for something that you've already brought to the Lord, but you can't seem to get out of. Maybe it's a different request. There's absolutely nothing wrong with repenting again, but we have to recognize that repentance is part of that cycle. It's part of the cycle that the Israelites lived through. For us, it's step number three. They became very good at repenting, or at least showing signs of repentance. Here's what we learned from the Israelites, is that they were repenting for the same exact sin over and over and over again, keeping themselves from growing closer to God. We know that God will forgive us, just like he forgave them. You've heard this from 2 Chronicles 7.14. It says, if my people who are called by my name, you've heard this, right? Will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. Isn't it comforting to know that God will forgive us? But just like the person who is trying to, to quit smoking in that moment when they face themselves failing again, they have to deal with something. It's a hard emotion. It's the emotion of shame. Should we feel shame when we repent? Yeah, we, sh we should. 
If we don't feel shame, maybe our repentance is just an act. Maybe we're simply putting on a, a mask that's, we're just going through the motions of repentance. Maybe we're telling God that we're sorry, but we really have, we really had no intentions of changing in the first place. Maybe we're simply going through the cycle to ease our conscience. Maybe we're just saying, I'm sorry for what I did, but it's what I did because that's me. In Proverbs 28, verse number 13, it says this, people who conceal their sin will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Repentance literally means to see the same. It means that we see our sin the same way that God sees our sin. That we see the distance between ourselves and God. It's as if we see ourselves breaking our end of the bargain. We see what brings God sorrow. In the most private moments, in your most private moments, when sin seems to... to to overtake the most? What do you think that God feels right then? It's in those moments when we turn over the Bible that's on our nightstand or we pull a newspaper over it almost to cover God's eyes. I wonder what God feels like in that moment. See, repentance is when we feel the same way that God feels. It's when our sin hurts us as much as it hurts God. Repentance and acknowledging our sin is part of this cycle. It was meant to be one of the last stops in this cycle. But many times we fail to change, and that's going to lead us right back to needing repentance for the same exact thing again. Just as God did with the Israelites, every single time that they came to him begging for mercy, God will do the same for us. And he's going to do this. He did it for the Israelites. This is the fourth point in your notes this morning. God will send another messenger to you. God sent another messenger to the Israelites. In the book of Judges, God sent, he sent them a judge. Not like Judge Judy, just a judge, he was a, a leader, a military leader, or a messenger, or a deliverer who would lead the people out of their situation and closer to God. There were 12 of them in the book of Judges. Every single one of them, in some ways, were successful. Every single one of them, in many ways, failed because the people continued to fall back into their sin and into the cycle over and over and over and over again. Do you know that God will send somebody to help you out of the cycle? You know that? I wonder if he sent you somebody last time that you repented and you asked for help, but I wonder if we turned away the help. I wonder if maybe we told God, Quit, quitting this sin, God, that, that's just not me. This is who I am. God sent somebody to help you. Maybe it was a grandma who continued to scold you 
or continued to talk to you. Maybe it was a mom who never gave up on you. Maybe it was a friend who would ask you, why are you acting like this? Maybe it wasn't even a person. Maybe it was a sunrise. Maybe it was a poster that God had on a wall and and you came across and it spoke to you, reminding you that you were not alone. God knows your strength. He knows that you need help. He knows knows that a messenger or a deliverer or or a savior to help you is part of that cycle. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 27, verse 17, we read this. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. For some reason, it seems like, it seems like all men's groups use this, use this verse as a basis as, as why we come together in men's groups. Because iron sharpens iron. Friends help friends. They keep us together. It's not just for men. Family members strengthen family members. Those in the church strengthen those in the church. I wonder if God is sending somebody to you to help you. But maybe, just like we did in the past, we really, we're refusing to acknowledge the help that God is sending to us. Do you know that the Bible itself is a messenger? If you haven't read the entire Bible, I understand. It takes some time. But if you haven't gleaned all of the lessons from the Bible, the Bible itself might be your next messenger. It might be your next deliverer. Today, maybe you start reading through the book of Judges, and you recognize this routine And maybe the book itself is what God is sending you to recognize the cycle. If you're asking for help, God is going to send help. Just like he sent help last time that you asked for help. Is there ever a time when maybe we've refused God's help? Oh, we probably didn't say that. We probably didn't use those words, Grandma, thank you, but I'm refusing God's help right now. But I wonder if looking back, we could recognize that God did send us some help, but we turned it away. I wonder if tomorrow or this week, once we get up off of our knees again, if maybe our eyes can be opened to that help that God sends to us this time. See, we've got to be honest about it. If we are making an effort to get out of the sin cycle, we're never going to change if we continue to say things like, that's just not me. Because we're more comfortable being the us sometimes that we created rather than being the person who God created. If that's our goal, is to just be me, we're going to live in the cycle. 
God will help us out of that cycle. He might be sending a messenger today. He might be asking you to recognize that repetitive sin today. Changes are necessary to grow closer to God. Growth, by definition, is change in action. If we are to grow, something has to change. God's word is unchangeable. God is not going to change his mind. He is not going to change his benchmark. He is not going to change his instructions for us. What does that leave to change? Us. That leaves us. Not only is it on us to change, but God doesn't leave us alone to change. What if he did? What if he said, I just need you to change, and you determine what you change into? No, he's given us all of the instructions. And he's put people in our lives to help us. And someone will show up. Or a sunrise will show up. Or if you don't see anyone showing up, call me. Call Kelly. Call Chantel. Call Jerry. Someone will show up. That's what the church is for. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you this morning. I want to thank you for leading us to change. I want to thank you for giving us what we need to change and giving us a benchmark, giving us a standard, giving us a control, giving us a goal. Lord, I thank you for a goal that does not move, that is not made by man, that is made by you. And I thank you for the tools to get there. Lord, this morning I pray that everyone here and anyone here who needs a friend, who needs a messenger, who needs a deliverer, We'll see whoever it is that you are sending. Lord, this morning, we pray that you will lift us all out of the repetitive cycle of sin. Let us continue to ask for your forgiveness, Lord, but let us, let us stop asking for forgiveness for the same exact thing. Let us take your forgiveness and grow closer to you. Lord, this morning, we pray for everyone here on location. I pray that, pray that you bless everyone here. And Lord, everyone watching online, wherever they're at, we pray that you bless Paris Valley Church. And Lord, we pray that you bless Digital Online Church. Because we know today that there are people who have been watching church online for a year now 
and they will be watching church online for another year. We welcome them into the family. If you're in our digital campus, don't feel like you can't reach out. You can. You can type in your chat room right now. Allie is in there. Allie is part of our staff on purpose because she could help. If you're on paris.online.church or digital.online.church, you can actually open a private chat room and talk to Allie. There might be a messenger in that chat room. Don't walk away today without bringing God that sin that you've brought him before and it's okay. I'm going to be up front in a moment. If you'd like to pray, David's going to play. Lord, this morning, we come to you and we thank you and we love you and we praise you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.